And now it is the end of Jacob's life. Genesis 49 records the blessings that Jacob now bestows upon his 12 sons. Verse 28 of Genesis 49 says that he blessed each of them with a blessing that is suitable to him. I thought long and hard about preaching a whole lot of lessons out of chapter 49 because there's a lot of neat things that Jacob says there to his sons. Uh, It would be outside the scope of what the theme of this study has been. But we'll look at one of those at the end of the lesson. After Jacob gives his final blessings, we see in chapter 50 that Joseph is now keeping his father's wishes. And now Jacob dies and he, along with the brothers, with so many of the Egyptians, servants of Pharaoh, elders of the household, a massive entourage, now all return to the land of Canaan and they buried Jacob in the cave of Machpelah where Jacob wanted to be buried. But now the brothers are afraid. And if you can think about that for a minute, I think that is a rational fear. If you remember how it went in Joseph's life, when all 11 of the brothers came to Joseph and Joseph finally reveals himself, he tells his brothers, go back and get my father and bring him down here. And that's exactly what they do. Joseph is alive. You need to come down. Jacob is very excited about that. Comes down. And then they move into Goshen. There's really not an opportunity on uh, Joseph's part to exact any kind of vengeance. You know, here comes your father, Jacob, that you haven't seen in so long. And, oh, hey, what happened to your uh, my other 11 sons? Oh, I don't know. I think I took care of them. Uh, that's not going to work out very well while Jacob is alive. And so this is what the brothers are thinking. Now that Jacob is dead, now what is he going to do to us? He was probably humoring us and keeping us alive while Jacob was alive because he can't very well do something to us while our father is alive and here he is in Egypt in the land of Goshen. And so that's what they're saying to themselves in verse 15 of Genesis 50. It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. And so they send a message to Joseph. Joseph, your father implored you to forgive us. Your father implored you to not hold it against us and forgive our transgression because what they did was evil to you. And the big question that sets up here for this final chapter is, what is Joseph going to do? If you think about it, Joseph possesses all of this power. Joseph is one of the most powerful people in all the land. And he could easily do to his brothers anything that he wants to do. He would be able to exact any kind of vengeance. He could make their lives miserable. He could have them executed there in the land. What is going to happen now? Nothing is holding Joseph back, it seems. Sometimes you'll watch a movie where they'll show you the end. And by seeing the end, you'll go, well, I wonder how that happened. I want you to notice the end here in verse 21 of Genesis 50. The end is, here's Joseph's words to his brothers. So do not fear, and I will provide for you and your little ones. And thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. 
Remember in chapter 37, the brothers could not speak kindly or peaceably with Joseph. And Joseph now speaks words of comfort and kindness to his brothers at this moment and says, don't worry, do not fear. I've got you provided for you, your whole family. You're going to be fine in Goshen. I'm not going to do anything to you. And what I want to look at this morning then in our final lesson from Joseph is how, by the grace of God, is Joseph able to do that? And people who have harmed Joseph so severely, who have wrecked his life so horribly, and have caused such an enormous evil against him, this is not some minor incident. This is life-changing evil that these eleven have committed against Joseph. How is Joseph able to say, Do not fear and speaks words of comfort and speaks kindly to them and says, I will provide for you. You'll be okay. Notice what he says to them. And I think this will help us as we move down trying to understand how Joseph is able to do this. Is you'll notice in verse 18, the brothers come into Joseph. They fall down before him and say, we are your servants. You know, basically we are at your mercy. We know that we have done wrong and your father said to forgive us. Please forgive us of the evil that we have committed against you. Please do not hold it against us. Notice the first thing that Joseph says in verse 19. Joseph says to them, do not fear for am I in the place of God? And Joseph's first response is very simple. Joseph's first response is that it is not up to him to bring wrath against the other person for what they've done. It is not his job to execute vengeance against his brothers for the evil and for the sins that they have done. And that had to be very difficult. How often do we want the other person to pay for what they've done to us? I am going to make sure that they get what they deserve. We want our pound of flesh, if you will. We want to see them punished for what they've done. And we will be the ones to do that. We are going to make sure that they receive what is due to them. Now, Joseph could have just said, all right, I want to see how you like 13 years in slavery. Let's see how you enjoy that. Let's see how you enjoy the pain and suffering of being stripped away from your family. All of these things were at Joseph's disposal. He is not a powerless person. And sometimes I think one of the reasons we are able to be more lenient perhaps in our dealings with people is because we lack opportunity to do something more vengeful. Joseph has all the options on the table at this moment. I want you to see that nothing holds him back. There's no reason for him not to go to the furthest extent. It's not like Pharaoh's going to go, oh, hey, what happened to your brothers? I'm not going to care. 
But Joseph's first thought is, this is not something for me to deal with. This is something for God to deal with. And I want us to consider when we think about when other people harm us, when people sin against us, when they do things that are evil against us, how often our response can be, well, I'm going to do something back to them. I'm going to respond in kind. What they did to me, I'm going to do to them. We often will misuse the Bible. Hey, an eye for an eye and a tooth for the tooth, which that's not what that means. It's not for you to go exact your own vengeance. That's not what God was teaching there. That'd be a whole other sermon someday. Not what that text means. And how often in the process of trying to bring about our own vindication, exacting our own vengeance, trying to get our pound of flesh, make the other person punish, we wreck all kinds of relationships. We destroy marriages by doing this. We destroy friendships by doing this. We even wreck strangers and acquaintances. They did something to me, so I have the right to do something back. They aren't doing what I want them to do, and so I will do this. They hurt me, I will hurt them. And we have to be impressed by Joseph who does not go down that road. And what he does to be able to make that step is first he recognizes that that is not his place. That's not up to him to do. And think about that is exactly what God taught us as well. Here's what the Apostle Paul would write. Repay no one evil for evil. That's the very picture that Joseph is recognizing. I am not in the place of God. I do not have the right to do that. Instead, very next verse, God says, as far as it depends on me, I'm supposed to bring about peace. I'm not supposed to bring about vengeance. I'm not supposed to get my pound of flesh. I'm not supposed to try to get some punishment on them for what they've done to me. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Notice this is the very thing Joseph is thinking. I'm not in the place of God. How do we handle the wrongs that happen against us? How do we deal with if we've been sinned against in marriage or in friendships or in this congregation or on your job? How are you going to do that? Notice he says, it's not for me to avenge. It's not for you to avenge. To leave that for the wrath of God, he says, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not be overcome by evil. But overcome evil with good. One of the first things we must see is that what we are doing is we are taking the place of God. And we must understand that it is not an option. It is not an option for us to execute our personal wrath upon somebody else. That's just simply not a choice. That is something that God takes away from us and says, you will not do that. That is up for God to do. God is the one who will take care of all All the injustices that have ever happened, it is not up for us to do that. And I believe that is so impressive by Joseph because Joseph stands as such a powerful figure. 
He is an important person in all the earth at this moment. And even at that moment where he has all opportunity and all power to do so, he knows his position before God. With all possibility, with all power, with all opportunity, he understands his position before God that no one has the right to inflict retribution. No one does. It is not for us to do that. And I want us to consider the significance of it because our unwillingness to forgive, our unwillingness to let it go, our our desire to get the pound of flesh and execute vengeance and do all of that, what that says to God is that we believe His wrath is insufficient and we have to do it ourselves. What we are saying before God is His work is not going to be good enough. I've got to take care of it. And I'm not going to be patient for it. I'm going to do it right now. That's what we're saying before God. We're saying I have to get mine right now. And what that simply says is we have pride, right? Because how is it possible that we go before God with all of our offenses, sins, and errors... And then somebody comes to us and they've wronged us. And now we become unwilling to forgive. Now we're going to get our punishment out on them. We do not receive their repentance. We do not receive their sorrow. We do not accept what they say. From now on, we looked at, look at them with an evil eye, with a specter of uncertainty. We distrust their motives now. We're going to do all of those things that we like to do. And the reason I think Joseph is able to overcome and how we are able to see the grace of God in our lives is a reminder that God's wrath stands against those who harm his people. God's wrath stands against those who harm his people. That gives us the ability to let go of the hurt and the harm and the sins and the wrongs that are committed against us. It is something that we see the people of God throughout the scriptures. David, a great example throughout the Psalms, holding on to over and over again. God will take care of that. Even the Apostle Paul would say things like that and say, God, you will hold those offenses against them. Paul's not going to do it. Paul's not going to go chase down those turkeys who harmed him. He just says, God's got that. God will take care of those guys. Oh, how those people harm me. Don't forget Alexander, how he harmed me. And you just say, God's got that. And Joseph, in an amazing ability here to recognize that God will take care of it. If I can say it another way, it's not our job to right the wrongs committed against us. It's not our job to do that. It is not up to us to try to right all of those things that have been done against us, to flip those wrongs, to try to make it even. That was a long time bumper sticker and thing in people's windows and cars for a long time. I don't get mad. You saw those? I get even. And the result of that is not heaven. The result of that is not heaven. That is not up to us to do. We do not get even. God will get even. God will deal with the wrongs. God will execute the wrath. 
And we must remind ourselves, who can do a better job at that? You or God. Who will deal with the enemies better? You or God. God will give them perfectly what they deserve if wrath is due to them. God will take care of it. And so Joseph begins with that. Am I in the place of God? That is not up for me to handle. That is up for God to handle. It is not my job to execute that wrath. That is step one in being able to handle forgiveness and to be able to deal with those who harm us. Notice the second thing he says also, though, in verse 20. He says in verse 20, as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are to this day. I I find this sentence staggering in so many ways. First, I want you to notice the brothers are not acquitted of what they've done. He doesn't say, you know, God was working through all of this, so you bear no responsibility whatsoever to this. No, I want you to notice what he says. And he has said this many times to them. You did evil. (laughs) You did wrong by me. There is nobody changing what happened here. It's not like what the brothers did was now okay. And I think that's important for us to keep in mind. That's hard for us to deal with. Well, well, if I just let it go, then I'm just saying it's okay. No, you're not. And he's saying what you did was wrong. It was an evil. You harmed me. You were committing wickedness against me. But what is staggering is that he says, you know, God was able to use that. That is something that we have seen many times in our study of Joseph that I hope has been a great boost to help you overcome difficult times. Is God is able to use these things. And here is Joseph opening his eyes and saying, God is at work in these things and he is accomplishing his purposes through these things. And that allows us to let go of the hurt and the wrongs and the sins. The reason why he doesn't have to do something here against his brothers is he just says, God was using it. You meant evil. You intended to hurt me. You were wicked brothers. But amazingly, God is able to take things like that and still accomplish his purposes. The phrase that you can probably underline in the title of the lesson, God meant it for good. And we're going to explore that statement for a minute. God meant it for good. I want to highlight number one. That doesn't mean what you went through was good. That's the great misuse of Romans 8.28. Everything works out together for good for those who love the Lord. It doesn't mean what you're going through is good. He points it out. This is wickedness through and through by his brothers. There was no good on these brothers' parts at all. It was simply a matter of, do we kill him or do we make money? There was nothing good going on in the story whatsoever. It doesn't mean that what is happening is a good event. It doesn't mean that you look at it and go, well, it's okay. No, it's painful. You've been hurt. You've been wronged. You've been sinned against. It is wickedness. It is evil. It's not glossing it over as it's okay. But the ability to recognize that God is able to use these things. And here's the thing that is new. Joseph already said that to his brothers once. If you remember a couple of chapters ago, he said that God was using these things. But he adds a layer right here that I want us to consider. 
Not only is God able to use these things for his purposes, but he says here that, notice it in verse 20, he meant it for good. Now I want you to consider who's good. Joseph says, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Who's good? Not Joseph's. You meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive even to this day. That not necessarily will it be the case that we will look at the circumstances of what has happened and say, well, here's how that good helped my life. Joseph says, God brought this about and used this in a way so that it would bring about your good. (laughs) That it would save many people. The promises of God would continue that they wouldn't die in a famine out there in Canaan. It is a reminder to us that God is not only operating for his own purposes, but sometimes the things that we are going through is for the good of others. That God is doing something over there that we can't even begin to see or understand. And that is a lot of what Romans 8.28 is talking about. That there is a greater good that can be brought about. And friends, please consider what is the greatest good that God could ever do to your life or to anyone's life. The greatest good that God could ever bring about and accomplish in your life. I think we have to always remember that has to be at the heart of God. We measure so many things in our life by the present happiness. Does it make me happy right now? Okay, if I'm happy right now, God is good. All right? And if I'm unhappy today, well, I don't know where God is today. I want you to recognize and consider that the greatest good that God is accomplishing is He is trying to bring about the salvation of every soul. That's the most important thing to God. Not temporal happiness out of His creatures, but the eternal salvation of every person. And sometimes we need difficulties to get to that point. I wish that we could look at life and say, anytime things are going good, that's when I follow God beautifully. (laughs) But too many times the truth is I need pain and I need difficulty and I need suffering and I need challenges so that I will keep my eyes on God and stop looking at myself. Whatever the Apostle Paul was going through, all kinds of speculation we don't know. But the sum total of how Paul describes after his prayers concerning his thorn in the flesh was these things were not taken away, essentially so that he would stay humble. That sometimes we need these difficulties and the greater good is our spiritual good. And sometimes things happen and it is for the spiritual good of other people. And that God can be working things in their lives as well. And the challenge of that is that then it teaches me, hopefully, 
to be able to look beyond my present circumstance, but to think about whatever is going on in my life, how can it be good and purposeful for God's kingdom? We've talked about that a couple of times. That we will look at our suffering and we'll look at our difficulties and look at our trials and go, now how can I use these things for the kingdom of God? We studied that when Joseph was in the pit, when he was in the prison. But to add another layer and say, who knows how these things can be used for my own spiritual good? You know, Job didn't see that. But Job's going to learn some spiritual growth, serious spiritual growth, as he goes through what he's enduring. And how these things can be used to the good of others. The grace of God teaches me then to put away all the sinful actions that I want to do against somebody. When somebody hurts me, when somebody wrongs me, when someone causes my suffering. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I want to be bitter at the people who hurt me. I feel better when I can be bitter. I want to be bitter at those who hurt me. I want to be bitter at those who don't meet my expectations, who don't do the things that I want them to do. I want to be wrathful. Lord, don't you understand I feel better when I convince some wrath at some people when they don't do what I say, when they don't live how I think they ought to live and do these things that I think they ought to be doing in my life. I want to be wrathful at them when they hurt me. I want to be angry and have some clamor, throw some things around, make some noise. When people hurt me, say things against me, slander me, I want to slander them back. Let all bitterness, all wrath, all anger, clamor, slander, malice, all be put away from us because we're not in the place of God. We're not in the place of God. And God is able to accomplish many things through the suffering we experience. This is where Joseph stands at this moment. I'm not in the place of God. And God has accomplished many things through my suffering. He has brought about your deliverance through my pain. And it is no place for him then to turn to sinful, selfish actions and say, well, here's what I'm going to do. Here's how I'm going to react against you. Whether it be overt, like clamor and slander, whether it be forceful, like anger and wrath, or how about the silent treatment of bitterness? Where it just boils around in there and consumes you and you seethe about it. You don't say a word, but are you bitter at that person? He says all that has to be put away from you. And the way that we're able to do that is we recognize that we're not in the place of God. And it's by the grace of God that the thing that we are going through, the hurt that we are dealing with, the evil that we are experiencing has a way to be used either for God's purpose, for my own spiritual good, and or for the good of others. 
That's where Joseph stands. That becomes the power of God, how God is able to take these kinds of circumstances. And I hope that we've seen from chapter 37 now all the way at the end that this life of Joseph has shown us, look how God is able to do that. Now that we're able to stand back and just kind of look at the whole of his life from when he was 17 years old and here he stands well into his 40s. And we look back at it and we go, God's moving things around from the hatred of his brothers to the the Potiphar's wife adulterous claim that was false to being in the dungeon to now raising up and being second in command. God's using all of these different things. And it helps us stand back when we are wronged and hurt. When we have pain that is against us, when we are sinned against, when evil happens against us. When we keep in mind how God is able to accomplish things through those things, shocking as it is, that keeps me from responding with bitterness, clamor, anger, wrath, slander, malice. Because I'm not in the place of God. God's going to take care of that. And God can be using these things for my good. Because the greatest good is the salvation of my soul. And it helps me keep my eyes on God. Which leads to the final thing. The final thing that we see with Joseph is really found in the final few verses. It is the final few verses that the book of Hebrews zeroes in on. Is that Joseph has faith in the promises of God. Amazingly, through thick and thin, what we see with Joseph is that he continues to hold on to the promises of God. And it didn't matter what happened to him. The writer of Hebrews glorifies Joseph for Joseph says, not only do not leave my bones in Egypt, but take them with you. Just as Jacob had said, don't leave me here in Egypt. You make sure I get to go to the promised land. But Joseph goes even further and says, God's going to bring these people up. God's going to take us all out of here. And so you carry my bones with me when we go. Verse 25, Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. Verse 24, God will visit you and bring you up out of this land. Joseph believes in the promises of God. He knows that God is going to do exactly what he has promised. And friends, we have before us a a greater promise to be able to hold on to through any difficulty, through any suffering. And I want to give it to you freely from the words of Jacob. Back in chapter 49 and verse 8. In the blessings that Jacob pronounces, the one that he pronounces on his fourth son Judah is profound and immense. Verse 8, Judah, your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub from the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as a lion is who dares rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, binding his foal to the vine, and his donkey's colt to a choice vine. He has washed his garments with wine, and his vesture in the blood of the grapes. His eyes are darker than wine, and his teeth whiter than milk. 
huge imagery here to simply point out this. He says, a lion from the tribe of Judah is going to come. He's going to rule as king. This king line will never leave from Judah. The scepter will always be before him. And then he says something staggering. He says, tribute is going to come into this one. And the obedience of all the nations, of all the peoples is going to come to this one who's going to come. And he's going to be full of blessings and all of this imagery of wine and milk and all that is a picture of the strength and power and riches that he's going to have. An amazing promise to Judah. The lion will come. He will rule with strength. And he will be your king. And all the peoples are going to come in and they will pay their tribute to him as he is full of the blessings of God. You might have heard this phrase and we read it from time to time on Sunday morning, but this is that is where this image comes from. In Revelation five, the big question of who is going to open the scroll and its seals, who is going to accomplish the plan of God? Who is going to reveal all the contents of what God is going to do? And no one is able to do it except for this one. And so John is told not to weep anymore. Why? Because the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. The picture is the Christ. Christ comes, he conquers, and now he is able to open the scroll. And notice the past tense is the conquering that has happened. He has come to the cross. He dies for our sins. He's risen from the dead three days later. He ascends to the Father. The conquest has happened. Satan is defeated. And now the enemies are being put under his feet. And one of the things that we see throughout the scriptures, an image in Isaiah Is your enemies or God's enemies? And that's a powerful thought. That God stands with His people. And He protects them. And He will deal with our enemies. And bring redemption to those who put their faith in Him. There's no greater gift that God could give us to help us overcome is to always have our eyes on Jesus who was wronged and had evil done against him for our good, not his. God likes to work like that. That God will bring about the good of others through the pain of one. And here is Joseph Experiencing as the pain of one, bringing about the good of many. And Jesus exemplifies it the good of one, the good done by one. Though he suffers and dies, pain and anguish, and nailed to the cross for the good of many. And our hope is in that. Our hope is not in the righting the wrongs. Our hope is not trying to get everything that is done against us fixed, but to leave it to the hands of God. God will fix this. God will take care of it in the end. And our hope then is in Christ, that we will go and be joined to Him because we have put away bitterness and wrath and malice, that we have not walked in the ways of this world, 
that we have not repaid evil for evil. That we maybe have been able to walk like we see Joseph able to do at the end of his life and recognize it's not for me to take care of. I'll let these things be in the hands of God. All of us have been hurt. All of us have been sinned against. All of us have been wronged. And all of us have been the ones to do it to others. And so they need the grace of God just as much as you and I do. And they need the patience of God just as much as you and I do. And they need the time for repentance just as much as you and I do. So do not stand in the place of God. Give them the opportunity to repent and let God handle it. You pull your songbooks out, we'll sing invitation song. We invite you to find your hope in His grace. To see the grace of Jesus and what He's done for us and how that alleviates our need to try to get back at others. To rest in the promises of God that Jesus has come and died for our sins so that we can have heaven, that we can have eternity with God, that God will take care of all of these things, that God sees all that is happening on this earth, that he knows all that we need. And we rest on those promises. Will that be the hope for your life? I pray that this study of Joseph will give you the grace to overcome all of your difficulties, all the suffering you may be dealing with physically. And may give you the strength to excel spiritually as you walk with God. Will you come to Jesus today, turn away from your sins, and be immersed in water now? Won't you come now while we stand and while we sing?